Hi, everybody. Welcome to the December 27th edition of Colorado Inside Out. As is our tradition, it is our annual year review show where we look back at the year 2019 and how what crazy year it was, as always, in our very best holiday sweaters. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, let's get a quick take from everybody on the one word or phrase you would use to describe 2019. We will start, of course, as we always do with Patricia Calhoun from Westward. Your one word or your one or couple words about that you would use to describe 2019. Well, I have two. The first is impossible in honor of the burger, the fake burger and everybody else who faked it through the year. But really, you have to go with use the same first three letters, impeachable. So many high crimes and misdemeanors everywhere. <laughs> David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School uh, in the great holiday sweater. Uh, your uh, word or phrase for 2019. Irresponsible. Uh, with all the talk about you know, everything that's been in the news, you know, the, the, the scandalous Peloton ad and everything else, Congress and the president on a bipartisan basis go along at rec setting record deficit spending in a time when tax revenues are higher than they've ever been and the economy is good, which is the, the time you ought to be balancing the budget. They are digging us, taking us to a Greek level fiscal catastrophe that may happen sooner rather than later. And when that happens, people will say, I can't believe you wasted all this time on this other stuff and couldn't even balance the budget, and the disaster we're in now will be the consequence of the actions of this year and of the continuation of it in, com in coming years. For another optimistic look at 2019, <laughs> we go to Eric Sondran, political analyst and weekly columnist with Colorado Politics. Your one word or phrase for 2019. Well, so, so far, we're two for two. My one word is paradoxical. At the same time, there is so much in this world that is going on the right track. So many indicators are looking north. We are making a shambles of our government. We are making a shambles of our culture. We're making, to David's point, a shambles of our budget. Paradoxical is my word. I love it. Rounding up the panel, Natasha Gardner, articles editor from 5280. Uh, Natasha, you're going to complete the, uh, I guess it would be quadfrecta of... Um, uh, optimism about 2019, your one word or phrase? I, I feel like I should say something positive, but I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, I originally played with maybe recall. I mean, we've seen that everything on a small level to the state capital to a national level. But instead, I'm going to call it regret because I think that's what this comes back to. People looking at what's happening and having a variety of feelings about it, but it really comes down to regret. And probably a good uh, answer around a post-holiday season. There's probably a lot of regret, whether it be from Christmas parties or from 2019. So uh, well said. One of the biggest stories we talked about in 2019 was the, was the municipal election in Denver. Mayor Michael Hancock won a third term but faced a significant challenge in the primary and in the runoff. Denver voters were clearly in a non-incumbent mood as three incumbents on the city council lost their seats to new faces and the Denver ballot issue races were the most expensive in city history with voters turning down a measure that would have rolled back the urban camping ban. Uh, Patty, with the kind of bruising election that Denver endured in 2019, is that going to leave some scars as we head forward and looking, as looking back to 2019? Is that going to be a scarring experience? Well, we can only wish voters had approved psilocybin mushrooms earlier because it would have been a much more <laughs> mellow election. Voters did do a surprise vote for um, magic mushrooms, and those passed. But you could tell just how discontented voters were by the fact that three incumbents were thrown out, Albus Brooks, for example. 
And had there been a stronger candidate against Michael Hancock, he could truly have been facing the unemployment line right now because people were just, they're concerned about traffic. They're concerned about growth. They're concerned about the homeless issue, no matter whether you were for or against 300. People don't like some of the things they're seeing in the city every day when they walk outside their doors. And that was really evident in this election. And even though Hancock, right before the election, came up with his Office of Sustainability and a new housing office, and we're seeing some of those things rolled out now, where had he been for the previous eight years on those? And we also have the airport that is coming up. So we have some big, big issues for the end of his term. And you're going to see all the people kicking themselves who didn't run against him this time because it's going to be much tougher when all of a sudden the field is open. It's going to be a very expensive next mayoral election. Uh, David, uh, just looking at one part of this, the, the new voices that are on the city council had wasted no time in 2019 uh, to make their points heard, uh, some gathering support, some not so much. Uh, but insurgents become incumbents, and that, that, that status of making change suddenly, that you're, you, you fight the system, now you're part of the system, there's only a limited time to make that change. What did you make of what we saw from uh, both the election and then the aftermath and their, their work throughout 2019? Well, I, I think the the voters in, in choosing Cidabaca over Albus Brooks, who was a very close ally of the mayor, said we want more of a check on the mayor's power. And, and, and they're certainly getting that. Now, she gets a lot of attention, but there are also other people like uh, former uh, guy at this roundtable, Kevin Flynn, who'd previously been with the Rocky Mountain News, uh, who's also maybe not as flashy about it, but also is, is, is very much a guy who really learns the details, digs into the facts, and, and asks the, the hard questions. Um, the election was the most disgusting municipal citywide election uh, in my memory, going back to the 1960s, with Hancock's despicable uh, charges of racism against his opponent. They've ne- never seen anything so, so cynical and malicious, at, at least in a, a Denver municipal election, as, as far as I can in my lifetime. Uh, but, but he did win, and that shows one of the things that's true if you're running for mayor of Denver or president of the United States, usually, but not always, is it really helps to have run before. And you could see his campaign team and the candidate himself were just much more up to speed on, on how to run a, a citywide election than, than a first-timer. Obviously, Hickenlooper was a first-timer. Trump was a first-timer. They both won, but that, that's the exception. Experience really helps a lot. Uh, Eric, when you saw the frustration on a variety of issues, the, you chalked that up to frustration about the city in general or about Mayor Hancock? Was it, when you look back to the 2019 election, is Hancock the headline or frustrations in Denver the headline? I'm going to add a third to that list. I'd say both to those. It's both Denver and particularly the people in charge of Denver, which starts with the mayor. I think it's a frustration with our political culture. People are againers these days. People are alienated and feeling on the outside. Then you add in it the explosive growth that Denver's experienced and the effects of that growth. It's not the growth per se. It's the congestion and, and many, other, uh, many other symptoms of that growth. Uh, Jamie Gillis, who emerged as uh, Michael Hancock's main appoint- opponent, probably would have been a much more competent mayor than she was a candidate. Um, this I've never met someone who is playing at a high level of politics, which running for mayor of Denver is a high level of politics, who is less of a raw political animal than Jamie Gillis was. That wouldn't have necessarily translated into being ineffective as a mayor. 
but it certainly cost her uh, in, in this campaign setting. Voters were in a surly mood. Uh, and you saw that we never draw at city council incumbents, and this time uh, we bounced out three of them. Uh, Hancock, yes, survived. Yes, it was not pretty. What I've been stunned with with Michael Hancock is I would have thought he would have used that reelection as a chance to sort of reinvigorate a third term, to do some changeovers at City Hall, to redefine what his agenda was, to sort of restart this thing. Uh, reboot it in, in computer terms. And I really don't see he's done that. It's sort of been just plodding along, more of the same, with the same cast of characters, and overshadowed by this debacle that is Denver International Airport right now, which is obviously weighing him down. Natasha, there's anything that defines uh, elections, especially looking back at them, is just uh, cliched euphemisms. And I think one of them that comes to my mind hearing about the comments from Eric is that Politics it is a full-contact sport, and the Denver election showed that in spades. When you look at the fight over 300, the city council election, and what Mayor Hancock, both the primary and the runoff, what stands out to you as the headlines that we're going to remember from 2019? Right. So much here. Um, I think one of the first thing is all the candidates. <laughs> and this is not just in Denver. This is in um, the Aurora Municipal Election. People um, are not only getting activated and going to the polls, they're, they're going to put their name on that ballot and getting on that ballot. And that changes the conversation around elections in a lot of good ways. So kudos to people who are making that choice and, and, and joining that um, sort of political general conversation. I think you mentioned 300, and, and it's worth taking a moment to pause on that, because a lot of the discussion leading up to it was um, that we heard from candidates, and I'm paraphrasing here, but okay, I'm not, I'm not going to vote for this, but we're going to do something. And now we're in two months after the election, and the question of what are we going to do is still in the air. Now, in December, Hancock and his team are coming out with some additional money, some new ideas, um, looking at some some not one-size-fits-all sort of solutions, but targeting um, groups that may individually need help that's different than other um, other groups. So that's that's all great, but. Um, as we enter this winter season, you know, I'm sitting here on the show in a very warm acrylic sweater. I, I feel so fortunate every single day. And there's so many people in this metro area that aren't that fortunate. And that's a problem is that even that discussion around 300 sort of instigated this, this idea that we needed to do something. And we're still waiting for what that looks like. So hopefully 2020 is not a repeat of what we've seen in 2019, which is a lot of talk but not a lot of action. The 2019 legislative session was the first of the Governor Jared Polis era, with Democrats running the show in both the House and the Senate. A good deal of the Polis agenda was passed, highlighted by his free full-day kindergarten plan. SB 181, a bill that overhauled oil and gas regulations, was one of the more contentious battles that ended with the bill being passed into law. And the idea of Second Amendment sanctuaries came about in 2019 after the red flag law was also passed. Uh, David, as you look back at 2019, and particularly the legislative session, did Democrats overplay their hand? I think they view was the, their view was they, they came to play and they wanted to do what they want. And as Eric's pointed out a number of times, they have the view that they have a long-term majority that they don't really need to worry about uh, alienating the voters on too much. They expect to do great in 2020 uh, when Trump is on, will be on the ballot and he's whatever else you can say about him, he's not very popular in Colorado, and then they have a majority which they can take into redistricting and you know, uh, maybe set up uh, a, a decade of dominance. So I don't think they're worried about overplaying anything. On the, the oil and gas thing, 
uh, they went about as far as they could towards complete prohibition without technically calling it prohibition, and that's, that's where certainly the governor's heart is and, and a lot of the party uh, as well. On the red flag bill, it did pass, but maybe not really, because the Colorado Constitution says that bills have to be read at length. That can be dispensed with, but that's an absolute requirement of the Constitution, and, and no court in our history has ever said the legislature can just blow that off because they, they want to. They refused to read it at length in the House. There's a lawsuit going on over that right now, so they may have to come back and pass it again. And if they do, I hope they make some improvements uh, to it uh, in terms of protecting innocent people from false and malicious accusations. Eric, I enjoyed reading the Blueprint book way back. Well, not way back, but it was about the elections in 2004 when the Democrats took over. And part of that was about Democrats saying that they're going to be in for the long haul, not going for the whole agenda at one time. All of that theory seems to be tossed straight out the window this year. It seems the Democrats, whether they're going to have power for 10 years, they're going to have it for another year and a half, they were going to put the, the pedal to the metal and get everything they possibly could get done. Was that wise? There are two interpretations out there of what the Democratic victory was. One is, as David referenced, that uh, this was, you know, that we're bulletproof and that we can go all in on a highly liberal agenda. Another interpretation of the big win in 2018 was it was just anti-Trump and voters were disgusted with Trump. We elected a new governor who basically bought the office. If you spend 20 or 5 or 30 million or whatever Jared Polis spent, it becomes your toy or in some cases very wealthy people buy fancy new cars for toys. It strikes me that Jared Polis bought a fancy new car, but it's all gas pedal, no brake pedal. Uh, and there's really no one riding the brakes in this Democratic operation right now. You might argue Polis did on the Family, family <coughs> Leave Act, which will probably come back this coming session. Yes, there was the whole dust-up about immunizations where Polis took a much more uh, libertarian stance. But, man, they were riding that gas pedal very, very hard on issue after issue. The pushback recalls that was a sideshow. That's not where the pushback is. The pushback is going to be, if there is one, from voters at the ballot box. And you saw it with referendum CC this past November. A year from now, there'll be the national popular vote, electoral college debate. There may well be another pushback there. There may be an oil and gas issue to even modify or repeal 181. If there is going to be the voters riding the brake pedal, since the leaders are not riding it, it will be through the initiative and referendum process. Natasha is fast and furious. He had uh, issues about Second Amendment, issues about oil and gas, uh, family leave. Uh, take your pick. Which of the fights stood out to you? Well, I think it, it started at the beginning of the year. You know, Jared Polis comes in in a historic win, a historic win for the nation um, as well as for the state of Colorado. But he comes in with his sneakers. And to, to be cliche about it, he starts running right away and doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He lays it out, and that's that state of the speech speech, and then he, he goes with it. And the rest of the Capitol go, goes along with him. I think one of the things that has been missing as we, we keep talking about uh, how, how much the Democrats got done in this past session, but me 
meanwhile, you know, is Colorado purple? Is it blue? Have we officially moved to blue? Are we still a shade of, of purple or blue? And Eric's done some writing on that. I mean, that question is probably still up in the air, but it, it detracts from the question of whether these things are good or not. And so I think we sometimes just get so stuck on the, is it a Republican bill? Is it a Democrat bill? That we're not looking at the question of, is full-day kindergarten something that Coloradans want? Now, yes, when they go to the polls in 2020, we're going to learn more about that. But I think that that's, um, you know, as you look at any of these individual things, they weren't done in a vacuum. It wasn't simply, oh, here's a random idea, and because we have all three branches, we're going to just run with it. These are things that have been workshop for a long time in Colorado, and I think there's a quite a bit of support behind them. So we'll learn more as people have to go back to the ballot box. But I think um, uh, they said they were going to do this, and that's what they did. <laughs> Patty, uh, a lot of things were passed, but I don't think any issue got put to bed, even though Governor Polis came out and said, we're, we're now past the oil and gas wars. I think that just, <laughs> it just lit a whole new like, set of uh, 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 trilogy to go forward in the wars. Uh, what stood out to you, whether it be oil and gas or anything else from the legislative session? Well, first of all, I have to argue with Eric, because if he bought a fancy new car, it's electric. No one has <laughs> their foot on the gas pedal, because clearly the oil and gas energy issues are huge now, and they're going to continue to be huge as various municipalities really flex their muscles to decide what they can and can't do. In Weld County, it's what they can do. You know, in Broomfield, it's what they can't. So those are going to be big issues. It's also how much are the things he pushed going to wind up ultimately costing? And I think we're just beginning to find out that maybe they're not as economical or as covered by the budget as we thought. And full-day kindergarten, which sounds like a great free, a great concept and maybe a greater good for the entire state, might be worth the cost. But some of the other things, we're going to be com- those bills are going to be coming due next month. Hey, if we go back to the beginning of the show and talk about you know one word or phrase talking about 2019, we might have to add long-winded because we've only gotten through a couple topics. And here we are towards our very favorite part of the show. Uh, and for this case, since it's a year in review, we're going to do Disgrace of the Year. And we always, as we always do here, uh, start with Ms. Calhoun. Your Disgrace of 2019, you can go as local or as global as you feel like. Well, I always stick with local, and wow, we are going to be really stuck locally when we can't fly out of Denver International Airport because it is such a mess there. I mean, a year ago it was a mess, and basically the floor plan is exactly as bad as it was a year ago. The difference now is the contractor who was turning it into a giant shopping mall was fired. We're paying off at least it's going to be a quarter of a billion dollars, uh, $250 million before we're done on this, and probably more. And we're going to be years behind. And as you try to navigate it this holiday season, trying to figure out what door to go in and how you get on the train and everything else, enjoy because it's going to be lasting for several more years. It explains that new ad campaign at Newark Airport saying, hey, it's not DIA. So, uh, (laughs) David, (laughs) your uh, disgrace of the year. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn, who transformed what had once been one of the great political parties of the Western world with leaders like Clement Attlee into the largest uh, pro-terrorism, Jew-hating political party in, in, in the West, deservedly uh, got trounced in the British general election, fewer labor seats than in any election since 1935. But the, the hate and bigotry with which he has infected that party still remains. There's a lot of those, those haters still in the leadership. And I hope the, the labor voters are able to purge those kind of unpatriotic uh, bad people uh, from the uh, once great party. Eric, your disgrace of 2019. It's been, unfortunately, a good year for autocrats. 
I honor a couple of them on my uh, holiday sweatshirt here. But whether we're talking about Putin, whether we're talking about Erdogan in, um, in Turkey, Modi in India, Xi in China, our own wannabe autocrat here in the U.S., it's a good year for autocrats, which means it's a dangerous time for everyone else. Natasha. I've got a lot. Go for so it. So we'll start with the RTD gravel pit. Um, we will talk about the Broncos Rapids and the Rockies. Um, but more seriously, the, the treatment of children who are being um, detained in the U.S. and the immigration centers. Um, but the moment for me that's really going to stick out, I think, in people's memories in April when a woman traveled to Colorado and shut down the entire metro area. That's something that our children are going to remember and, of course, anyone who was involved in um, that sort of standstill moment. Well, we're not going to have a holiday special. This is the press. We're going to end on a high note. Time to say something nice. You're say something nice for 2019. Patty. I'm going to say something nice about all our viewers who continue to put up with us, especially me, all year long, no matter what mistakes we made, our predictions that went awry. But understand that we like to talk about the city and the state we live in. We like to have relatively civil discourse around the table. And most people in Colorado like to have civil discourse with each other. So let's go out over this holiday season and have some nice conversations. Here, here. Well said, Patty. David. The great people of Hong Kong, they're the ones who are stunning and brave and really standing up for liberty. They're, they're the people of the year. Eric. Well, ditto to David on that, but I'm going in a similar place to where Patty was. It's our viewers and beyond our viewers, which is a, a wonderful but not huge uh, audience, but bigger than many people might surmise. Anyone out there who believes and does their part to promote civil discourse, to use Patty's words, to get out of their political bubble, to actually consider and dialogue with people of a different viewpoint, hooray to them. Hear, hear. Natasha. Two voters, anyone who votes. It's, it's, it's such an important part of our democracy. Um, but additionally, arts and culture in the city and in the state, we've had wonderful books. We've had all kinds of beautiful performances. Um, and then something like the Mission Ballroom, which I'm still waiting for someone to say they saw a bad show at. Um, there's just a lot going on in the city and the state. That's a great way in 2019. And I certainly want to say uh, something nice with, with all of you tuning in for a holiday show. It's a little bit later. It's a couple of days after Christmas. So whether you celebrated Christmas, you celebrated Hanukkah, you celebrated a solstice, you didn't celebrate anything. And the fact that you're watching us, I'll echo what uh, uh, Eric and uh, Patty said. We're grateful that you are tuning in to us and enjoy uh, our, our fun little show, especially if we can wear these crazy sweaters. So hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Stay tuned next week for our Look Ahead show. And for everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.